I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Buckle up. Well, I actually had, I mean, to... Not to drag this on any further, but like when I when I was when I was very injured and like and and incapable of getting my own stuff, um, using a wheelchair. Well, I was like I was kind of like in that in between where I was unable to use a walker yet, yeah. and I didn't have a wheelchair. Yeah, and Kylo would be like, "I'm going out for, for like three hours." I'd be like, "Oh fuck, got to really think about the plethora of things that I want to have within yeah. like an arms." Yeah, yeah, distance totally remotes lots of remotes yeah lots of remotes to control <laughs> all the remotes to, to yeah, control yeah. different uh digital devices well uh for folks wondering yeah. why why um you're talking about that right now um i think we're, we will be talking about wheelchair use i mean probably a little bit at least today because uh, we're speaking with uh reedon who man I'm gonna, I'm gonna give it i'm gonna give a little attempt to list <laughs> the things that you have um that you have uh provided us with <laughs> Your your current and your words current long form diagnosis, yeah. Um, yeah. And I want to try this because these are I, I, there's actually a couple things in here that I that I actually have never heard of before, or at least haven't heard of like the specifics, the specific variant, mm-hmm. if you will. So, um, Reedan, who's joining us today uh, from Squamish, first of all, hello, thank you. She's she's in Calgary Hi. right now, in yeah. Calgary right now, but from, typically from, from Squamish, Squamish, <laughs> Squamish yeah. by way of by way of Squamish, thank you. BC. Um, Reading, you have spina bifida, meningococcal. Does it end there, or or does the tethered cord syndrome with adhesive arachnoiditis go with that? Is that a spider disease? Kinda. When you like actually look at the science of it, it actually makes sense. But when I first heard it, I was like. I have no idea what this means. You're like, I'm yeah, not scared of spiders. spiders there all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, so the spina bifida is separate from the tethered cord. Okay. Okay. So, so is yeah. it spina bifida meningococcal? Myangosil. Myangosil. Okay. Because I was like, when I said meningococcal, I was like, I feel like something has to come after. <laughs> yeah, it does. Yes. Right? It feels yes. that way. If it was, yeah. if, you, if you had been right, you would have been right. Me- so can you say it again? <laughs> Meningocyte. Menin- <laughs> Myangosil. Myangosil. Okay. Mm-hmm. Meninges. Give us a little breakdown <laughs> nope. on spina bifida for, for uh, just to refresh my mm-hmm. memory, but then the yeah. myangosil part, mm-hmm. what, what's that all about? Uh, yeah. So spina bifida is like a long spinal cord. Usually your spinal cord ends a little bit above where your spinal column seals off and in spina bifida, it doesn't seal off. Um, so the spinal cord will continue growing. Um, and some people, if they have spina bifida occulta, their spinal cord is just a little bit too long, um, but it doesn't damage the nerves to a massive extent. Uh, my angus cell is kind of the medium form. So in my case, my spinal cord goes fully past my spinal column. Um, 
out and uh, and I was quite lucky in my case because the length of my spinal cord is actually that of a myelomyogacil, which in most cases, that's what you see um, the babies with, you know, the open spinal column to the back where they kind of have a pocket and that's where their spinal cord is. And they um, usually have, that's the full paralysis kind of from birth and the necessity of a surgery right at birth for that. Wow. Um, so I'm kind of right in the middle, but a weird, a weird middle ground. <laughs> is the, um, is the issue is the, so um, thank you for the refresher on that because I was mm-hmm. very fully um, forgetful of spina bifida. I also feel um, like hearing that, what I, I feel like that's a, I know we've talked about spina bifida, but I feel like that's the first time I heard it. You said it very clearly yeah. and concisely yeah. and in a, in a way that was very easy to digest and understand. But I still have a follow-up question. Oh, I still um, have many. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which is, uh, which is, is the, is the issue, is the issue I, in a, um, is the issue that the spinal cord is not um, protected? Like it, 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 it extends outside of the area where it would otherwise in a, in like a, in like a normal developed um, spinal column, like it would be encased in like a protected area. And then with spina bifida, it's not. Yeah. So there's like, from my understanding, again, like I have gone to the doctor school of, I have the disease, but I'm not a doctor. (laughs) Um, uh, So yeah. So from, from my understanding, it's like when you have like a fully formed quote unquote, normal spinal column, your nerves, exit your spinal column at the right points and they exit cleanly. And, um, and then, yeah. And then there's that protective layer where there's really nothing for the spinal cord to grab, but itself. Um, and so it it just hangs very freely there. It's, you know, free moving. That's how you grow. Um, it kind of grows with you. Um, and then when you have spina bifida, because it's not protected and then it also, yeah, those nerves don't exit the spinal column in the right spot. Um, and then in my case with the tethered cord syndrome, it gets tangled or attached to kind of whatever it wants to. And then you end up with other issues because of that okay, damage right in on. your spinal column. Yeah. So a lot of like ner- nerve, nerve issues, like that's essentially, yeah. you know, if you were to really boil it down yeah. to like what it is, does that doing mean that your it's, nerves that, are, does that mean it's painful? No. Uh, <laughs> no, no pain. No. Jer knows. Yeah, uh, it, I mean, again, speaking for myself, that that's like I was not diagnosed with it until I was older. Um, oh. So I went from not knowing I had anything wrong to like showing a lot of these weird symptoms, um, and then pain and migraines was my my biggest one until I was quite a bit older, and then had uh, quite a bit more adhesions to my spinal cord itself. So, uh, yeah, so, but I know I'm sure it is painful right off the bat for, for some people as well. Interesting. When, when did that, uh, so when did that, when did you go from not having any issues to starting to have the issues that would, I guess, I'm assuming those things, migraines and pain and everything Mm -hmm. sort of led to a diagnosis at some point, how, like, how were you actually happened? It was the opposite. I, um, was born. Yeah. Like had no diagnosis, perfect little, quote unquote, perfect little baby. Um, and I went to my fifth birthday, like checkup at the GPs and he's like, yep, she's great moving on. And then about a week later, put my swimsuit on to go outside and play in the hot Calgary sun. And, uh, my, in my parents' words, it looks like someone had come and broken my back in multiple places and things were twisted 
And so we immediately, like that day, went to the GPs who sent us to the emergency room. And then, you know, XYZ scans later, um, I ended up with, you know, these couple of diagnoses and a surgery date because we went from not knowing anything. But when I say that, you know, when you have a free flowing spinal cord and it's not attached, you grow. And so I was able to grow, but then my spinal cord attached to something and then that stopped me from growing. And when that happens, everything kind of crunches. Wow. That's wild that 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 happened. That's wild that that happened within such a short period of time of being checked out of being, you Mm -hmm. know, being examined. And then all of a sudden like this glaring problem arises. Yeah. Yeah. Out of nowhere. Yeah. I just remember, uh, I'm curious, do you remember going to the hospital? Um, I remember the swimsuit incident and being like, why are all these people staring at my back? Like, Mm. I want to go play. Um, And then I don't really remember much between, you know, that and then my like actual surgery. Um, I remember like a lot of MRIs and having to go under like anesthesia for them. But that was kind of all a blur because I didn't really understand why everyone was freaking out. Like, yeah. you know. That'd be such a wild experience, like going to the hospital yeah. and not not really fully understanding yeah. why you're there. Other yeah. than the fact that like your parents are like, but your back kind of looks yeah. different. Yeah, so I can't I can't see it. It's fine. I'm right. sure I'm fine. And so to the to, to my question from before, did that mm-hmm. so it was so it wasn't the symptoms that them brought on. It was like, it was a visual thing and you didn't mm-hmm. like you physically, you, you know, you couldn't really yeah. tell that that was happening. No, no. And so by the time, like, because again, Canada, you know, the long wait times, that was still the case in the early 2000s. So um, it was about an 11 month wait from the time I was diagnosed to the time I got my surgery. And I, um, wow, you know, uh, it was just, yeah, it was just like a, away time. And by the time I was at my surgery date, I was having headaches, which, um, at the time, you know, we didn't really know we're going to be attributed to the spina bifida because it wasn't really well known. Then mm-hmm. there was a lot, you know, there's, it was in the textbooks, but my form and the way my body was developed was not typical. So, um, right. they kind of just were like, Oh, she's got migraines cause she's stressed. And then later on in life, they went, no, you have migraines because you have, you know, spinal damage. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so just like, just to, just to clarify here, because uh, again, like this is all, I know we've covered this before, but this is, this all feels very new to me. And maybe it was because it was years and years ago that we, we talked about it. But when it comes to like the visual sort of indicators of spina bifida, um, mm-hmm. and I'm just doing a quick Google to like kind of wrap my head around this, because I think when you first started describing it, I was thinking oh, she has an elongated spinal column. Like the Mm-mm. bones of the spine are are going past the point of like you have of a tail. no turn. Like it right. turns it, into a tail. Totally right. Yeah. Or, or I was even thinking like maybe like a long maybe neck. Maybe even further, yes, further through the, the top. <laughs> through right? the neck, yeah. Long right. neck. And, no. then, and, and then the more you talked about it, I was like, oh no, we're talking about like the, the spinal cord. So like the literally the, the you know, the cord of the nerves that cord. run through yeah. the spine. And when I looked it up, um, there's, you know, the three types of spina bifida, which you're, you said you were right in the middle. And I actually never knew this, but like the, the, a lot of the images that pop up when you Google image search spina bifida show images of an infant with Mm -hmm. this like really gnarly looking like sack growing out of the bottom of their back, just above their butt crack. Mm -hmm. And so, so I think like the, the word, like the, you know, the, the, you know, Grade three version, mm-hmm. uh, which is, how, do you know how Milo, to pronounce it? 
Milo Myangosil. Milo Myangosil. So that's mm-hmm. like a really big pocket. And then the, yeah. the uh, is it Occulta? Which is like the- Yeah, Occulta, yeah. Occulta would be the, the uh, number one, like grade one. And you're in, the, you're in between. The interesting thing about Occulta is that it's not, or at least what I'm gathering here, it's not a big lump, but it's a tough mm-hmm. to pair. Yeah. So it depends on the person. Like you have, most people have a dimple. So like I have a dimple and that's a a sign. I mean, normal, healthy spinal people also can have dimples, but uh, spina bifida, yeah, dimples or a tuft of hair um, or sometimes a little bulge, like a little, uh, yeah, just like a little hump at the very back of their spine. You mean like a little like low back dimple? Yeah. Like right at the butt crack. Yeah. I have one. Oh, do you? Mm-hmm. But I think really your dimp- your your guys' dimples are a little bit different, right? Like, no, it's like center. It's not like not like the not like the two on the side. I mean, you like, have a center mm-hmm. one. You have yeah. spina bifida. It's like a little. Uh, it <laughs> you looks. Gotta get checked. It, it, you gotta actually, get checked. it actually. <laughs> it actually. Like I've I've actually been fascinated. You by also it for a do while. have a tuft of hair. No, I mean you, have, you got a lot of tufts of hair. No, you got tons of tufts. All my hair tufts. All my hair tufts are on the are on the front side. I've got no backside tufts. It's like a little, uh, it, it looks like a little hole actually. It's mm-hmm. kind of crazy. I've always been, uh, I've always been like, I mean, I've never had any like issues around it. So I've, I've never yeah. really been, been prodded to ask a doctor, but I've always been like, huh, I wonder what that little tiny little hole is doing there. So reading in your case, mm-hmm. you had a, you had a, a dimple, like an, like an indent, not a, not a little, not a little bulk. Yeah. Yeah. So mine's like quite a deep indent. Um, mm. and my mom also had it. And so that's why they didn't really think anything of it they saw it at birth and she was like oh yeah i have one it's not a big deal and mm. that's why they kind of left it but yeah i think a lot of spinal people will have it like a dark patch of hair or um right yeah it, with with a deep dimple is that is it common for people to get to only get diagnosed like once they really start to grow like around five years old because i i thought that most Mm-mm. my cousin has spina bifida and i thought that most people get diagnosed like, like very young, like, I, I don't know, yeah. just after yeah. they're born. Um, yeah. Usually in utero, like it's, okay. it's, especially nowadays is caught in utero. You know, they watch for hydrocephalus so closely now that it just makes sense for them to mm-hmm. do a full spinal scan. Um, and so like for all of my pregnancies, I was like super anal about it and like, mm-hmm. make sure I want to see, I want to see the entirety of it all the way, every single ultrasound because mm-hmm. they can catch it now. And so it was really confusing as to why, um, I mean, it was the nineties, but still like they were still scanning yeah. for things like right. that. I imagine that your, your, your parents, like when you're four years old, if a, if somebody came up to them and was like, does your daughter have spina bifida? They would be <laughs> like, absolutely not. Like there's no yeah. possible way to, mm-hmm. <laughs> like she looks completely normal. And then all of a yeah. sudden, like bang, this thing happens. Um, yeah. and all, all of a sudden you have it. That must be a wild experience to like, think Especially that for you're, to, to think that your kid is, you know, a, a healthy, normal yeah. kid, but then to all of a sudden find out that, oh, fuck, like they've been, you know, not really dealing with symptoms of this thing, but have been dealing with this thing that's turning into something that is going to have like lasting, lifelong, lifelong yeah. impacts. Would, would it have made a difference if they caught it, the, you know, the day you were born? Um, That's up for debate. Uh, Again, just for like the inside of the column, usually looks a certain way. And when they got in there to do my tether cord release, it was not, it didn't look similar to that at all. So yes, I would have probably not had as much twisting and stuff and they would have missed Mm. other diagnoses if it hadn't. Um, But in the long run of things, 
just like because of my anatomy, I don't think it would sure. have changed too much. Now, I, maybe I missed this um, while I was like looking at all the symptoms of spina bifida um, on the outskirts, mm-hmm. but tethered cord syndrome with adhesive arachnoiditis. Did, yeah. did we go through what that what that means? No, no. Okay. So tethered cord syndrome was something I had right from the get go. Um, the adhesive arachnoiditis was something that I've just gotten in the past couple of years um, or gotten diagnosed in the past couple of years because it's kind of a progressive thing that just shows up um, within the scar tissue. You need time uh, for the spider eggs to hatch and, and release. And, and then the webs to be built. And yeah, it is. Yeah. So yeah, no, the tether cord was something that I, I left the hospital with that diagnosis because uh, that's what the surgeries were for in my case, because I didn't have the bubble, the, that sack of uh, nerve endings protruding it. Uh, instead, they just are all in t- inside and attaching to whatever they could find. And, uh, and so with the tether cord syndrome, they go in and they do their best to clear everything out and see a free flowing spinal cord and then stitch you back up and send you on your way. And so, so in that case, then like, do they go, all right, we fixed the tethered cord syndrome. Like that's kind of it. That's what they told me the oh. first surgery. Uh, yeah. uh, okay. <laughs> right. that, that's the caveat here. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. He was like, uh, when I had my surgery when I was six, he was like, yeah, she'll never need anything else. Like go live your life. Be great. And uh, so we were under the impression that it was done and over with. And Man. now I just had this diagnosis and moved on. I, I, I don't want to get ahead of myself because I, I, I'm imagining that things get more complicated as you get older. Um, yeah. But I can't help but think about how, you know, if I was in your shoes and, you know, I was a seemingly healthy kid who, you know, goes into the hospital for this thing that they don't really know why they're going for, but, you know, you end up getting these, having to get these surgeries to fix, quote unquote, fix mm-hmm. this thing. But like, you probably feel fine and, and normal going into the hospital. But then all of a sudden, like, because you went into the hospital and because they're trying to fix something that, you know, is inevitably going to cause more damage down the road you now all of a sudden like start experiencing all of these other things that come with that. I I just imagine you would be so fucking jaded about the healthcare system that you just fucking hate it. Oh, I was so mad. I blamed my first surgeon for such a long time. Um, and we left Canada and I had a different surgeon and I thought he was so awesome and grand and he'd fixed the problem and then ended up coming back to Canada and needing to see the original surgeon that I first saw again, cause he was the best in Western Canada and, uh, kind of going to him and being like, you're not going to mess me up this time. Right. And he's like, I'm so sorry. No, like we're going to do our best here. Um, and he was quite protective over me afterwards as well, which was great. But yeah, I like, it's like, Oh, I'm not in pain. And now I'm in a lot of pain and I can't walk and I can't feel yeah. my feet. And what's, you know, I'm this six-year-old kid in a hospital bed and kind of going like, I, when do I get to go home? Like, mm-hmm. what do you mean I can't do these things anymore? Mm-hmm. Did you actually get to talk to the surgeon? Like, and actually have a, have a conversation? Like, was there like a, mm-hmm. was there like a back and forth about the, you know, the original surgery yeah. and, and, and not having, um, not having picked up on the spina bifida? Yeah, we when we came back to Canada, I was a teenager and I was, you know, a little bit rebellious and a little bit headstrong and uh, wasn't comfortable with him operating on me again until I could kind of hear what happened and why other issues happened and why things were missed. Um, And once he kind of said, you know, number one, I was a newer surgeon and I had never seen anything like what I saw inside your spinal column before. Um, 
And so I didn't have the information I needed. And I made a, a choice as a surgeon, because you know, you're open on a table in front of them. And I needed to do my job and do what I thought was necessary. And um, and it was a good conversation because yeah, he he kind of just said, you know, I've done a lot now and I've done a lot of research now. And um, and so I am confident going in. And if I and he told me if like if I wasn't confident, confident, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have taken you back on as a patient. I would have sent you somewhere else. So that was really wonderful to yeah. hear. And, and did you did you get a um, did you know or ever learn like what it was about the like what it was about the first surgery? Whether it was like something that was done or he was sneezed. it or, or, or was it something that <laughs> yeah, at a really like inappropriate like <laughs> really, <laughs> the really not the greatest moment. time? Yeah, pulled his mask uh, down, did a big yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, was it something that was done or something that was not done that, that, um, mm -hmm. caused future, future issues? Um, a little bit of both. Yeah. He, so usually with, when you have tether cord syndrome, um, you tether quite low. So when you have that open spinal column, usually you tether to the the base of your spinal column. That's kind of the regular place for it. Um, and I had done that. I had tethered to the base of my spinal column, but what he didn't check for, um, was it actually a higher tether? So kind of in my upper thoracic or upper uh, lumbar spine, he, he missed that one. So when he released my spinal cord, he said, yeah, it jumped up like it was supposed to, and it moved around. And so we thought we were good. Mm. And he biopsied a nerve pocket because my nerve pockets looked different than other people's, I guess. Um, and so that caused another space, um, of scar tissue, which again, at the time he didn't know how my scar tissue was going to form. Um, so when I had my second surgery, I wasn't tethered in, you know, this upper space and the lower space. I was actually tethered in three spaces because mm. of that. The scar tissue. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, so I want to just like kind of quickly hit the, the adhesive arachnoiditis. Yeah. Of like what that is. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. But before we get to that, I also just want to like make it known uh, that Reedon also has a surgically fused scoliosis, uh, EDS, Ehlers Danlos Syndrome. Hey, no way. Plus a few uh, skeletal mm -hmm. abnormality diagnoses mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. celiac disease. So you, there's a few things going on with your spine. Just a few you know, things. Just a few. Um, what the heck? Also, don't <laughs> even think about gluten. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. um, and and I would love to like dive into to all that, but but really like really what I what I'm really curious to talk to you about is mm -hmm. more so on like the personal side of managing your illness while being a mother, because right? I mm -hmm. think that's something that like we haven't really covered very much on the show. Um, and mm -hmm. I think it'd be really interesting, but before we get into that specifically, I'm just dying to yeah. know adhesive arachnoiditis. <laughs> what, yeah. what does that mean? And what does that like, how does that present with you? Um, okay. So again, kind of new to me, weirded mm -hmm. me out when I read it. Um, so when you think of scar tissue, it's kind of like a hard white packet when you see it on a scan. So when I had tethered cord surgeries, like I had white hard packets from where they had released my spinal cord and where my, you know, my actual incision was. And then over time, like a spider web, if you think of a spider that's been stuck inside the attic for too long and just kind of this webbing of that gets thicker and thicker oh. and thicker, that is what it is. And so if you look at my MRIs from, you know, 10 years ago compared to now, you can see this like thinning. Wow. white scar tissue and then see it progress over time 
to what it is now, which is so thick that they actually can't see my spinal cord through it anymore Whoa, so wow, crazy yeah Holy shit. yeah and is that yeah. is is that sort of isolated to the area of like the lower part of the spine where you know that that pocket was found and and yeah or is it all all across the whole the whole spine no i have I have absolutely nothing you can see, like all of my thoracic spine, no problem. And then you hit my like first lumbar spine and it's just white underneath wow, it. Wow, um, and then they can see my, like my spinal cord at the very mm. base and there's no movement there. So okay. somewhere between, you know, L1 and the base, sure. it stops moving. Yeah. Okay. So with all of that then, and like all the things that you've been through in terms of the, the, you know, multiple surgeries and, and this like relatively new diagnosis and, um, your how old are you i am 29 almost okay right so like you know 20 (laughs) 24 years of of like going through all this what does that mean for your body like i know that you're you're an ambulatory wheelchair user Mm -hmm. um maybe you can like give us a little bit of a a breakdown on like what does that mean what's your like day-to-day how does spina bifida affect your mobility um, so currently like my, my new normal is, um, we live in a tiny home with our kids and that gives me the capabilities to still walk at home. Um, I really can't stand for more than 10 minutes max without kind of locking my knees and letting my spasms in my legs hold me up. Um, and so pretty well, otherwise I use my wheelchair, um, or crutches if I'm feeling really strong and, you know, have nothing to do later in the day. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that's, you know, that's kind of my new, in terms of walking normal, I use my wheelchair for everything outside of the house and then do a lot of sitting. When you say you have a, a, a tiny home, do you mean like a, like, like a tiny home from like the tiny home, like TLC renovation shows, like you have like everything's within 400 square feet type of thing? Yeah, probably smaller. Uh, it's a renovated sweet. RV <laughs> uh, okay, that we bought, yeah, kind of pre-COVID and have slowly just been renovating and yeah, it works really well for us, but everyone looks at us like we're absolutely insane. I mean, (laughs) sounds like it works really well for someone who has a hard time moving around. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) Like Taylor said, when he was fucked up, just laying on the couch, like he needed everything in arms reach. Everything's in range right there. I mean, it actually makes a ton of sense to me, which is why, like when you said tiny home, I was like, do you mean like a small home? Like, a thousand square mm-hmm. feet or like a legit tiny, tiny home. Tiny home. Uh, no, and that makes legit, a lot of sense tiny, to me. Tiny, tiny home. You know, yeah. I, I know I have a, I have a, a couple that Kyle and I are friends with. This is so, I found this so strange. They lived in a tiny home and, and it was probably Weird. like, and it was probably like 250 or 300 square feet. Um, and like, and they were all about going, like jumping through like it, it here. They, they just like ran into a bunch of issues, like in terms mm-hmm. of like, water supply and all this stuff like they had a place to put it and everything but it was mm-hmm. kind of this like set up with somebody's land and like getting power and getting water and all this stuff and they and they were like really jazzed about kind of overcoming those challenges and making it work and then they ultimately did and then it almost mm-hmm. seemed like they got to the end of the road where they were like we solved all the problems that make it challenging <laughs> to live in a tiny home and then they were like let's move into a 5,000 square foot house. <laughs> and I, I remember just like, like being like, wow, surprise move. <laughs> I was so, that has, this has nothing to do with anything except for the tiny home. I just remember thinking that that was so interesting that they went from, uh, they went from like 250 square feet to like a, to like a 10 bedroom house 
Um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's not for everyone. Bye. But but I, I mean, I like you know, I I feel my condo is basically a tiny home, and uh, yeah, I really love it. Like I really love the thing I love about um, tiny homes in general is like everything has to have its place. Mm-hmm. And yeah. functional. And like a real, yeah, and yeah. a really well made tiny home is like extraordinarily functional. It's like yeah. a Swiss Army knife. Yes, yeah. dude. It's the fucking Swiss Army knife of living. Yeah. It's yeah. great. It, okay. It forces yeah. simple living. You can't have excess, mm-hmm. you can't have excess stuff. Everything yeah. has to have a purpose. Okay. So mm-hmm. obviously we're big fans of tiny homes, but I think the, the, the thing that I find um, that I would guess would be more challenging is like when you have kids. So, yeah. I'm wondering, like, you mean I, in terms of like being a disabled person and having kids, or just living in a tiny home with kids? Well, I, mean, I feel uh, like it's multifactorial <laughs> now. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit of both, yeah. yeah. Or just in general, having kids is hard. Having kids in a tiny home is hard. <laughs> yeah, right. but is mm-hmm. it better to be in a tiny home when you have limited mobility and have kids? I don't know. <laughs> it, we we moved when we first moved to Squamish. We moved into this like five bedroom townhome, you know, like the four story one, and so. I, at that point, had a bit more mobility or was at least pretending like I did. And so I would, you know, start on one floor and go down to the the main floor and do what I needed to do. And my kids would just sit on the floor within reach of me all day long. Like they never wanted to play on their own. They wanted all their toys there. And so I was like, I'm cleaning this house. I can't really do the stairs. I'm not really very happy here. Let's move into a tiny home. And they are still I will be sitting on the couch. I can see their beds from where I'm sitting and they're still playing in front of me. Like it's just that, you (laughs) know, so for our kids, it works really well. But um, if you have kids who like, you know, independence (laughs) to be playing on their own and having that space or older kids, um, you have to kind of shift things to make it work. Yeah. How many, how many kids do you have? I have four kids. Whoa, Whoa. Wow. Look at that. Four kids. That's uh, in a tiny home in 2023. Dude, that's uh-huh. incredible. Okay, yeah. you're giving me you're giving me um like a renewed uh lens through which to see my living situation. I live in a 700 square foot condo and we have one kid and like maybe there's a second kid on the horizon and it's like it's the second kid that's like really making us think about mm-hmm. our living situation. Our you know, one our one is like it's no issue at all where we live. So now you're giving me you're you're giving Dude, me that I like mean, perspective. At, at like this rate, you could have six. I could have be, yeah. be good. <laughs> yeah. Like six in there. Yeah, yeah. Like like it, add add. You've got. I like, mean, if you just an extra yeah. three hundred square totally. feet, I love how then Reedan does. So like add another. I mean, another three. It's kids a simple calculation. Two. Every person takes up only a certain very very <laughs> yeah, certain amount of square footage. Amount of square yeah. footage. Yeah. I love how yeah. self serving this conversation has become. But it's kind of great. I mean, really, Taylor, what you need to do is just really, you just need to make your place more functional. Yeah, that's, that's right. right. Yes, that's right. I need functional. to have. You know what? You know what I think? We could do two levels, and it's just each level is only four foot ceiling, so we're yeah. just always on our knees. Here's the big difference, though: is uh, you live in a condo, whereas this this tiny home that we're talking about here is like I'm I'm imagining is in like a beautiful majestic forest with mountains surrounding there's probably a babbling brook <laughs> nearby you know it's like there's options there's a lot of babbling there's You're a lot really of brooks that are wrong. babbling <laughs> yeah. squamish squamish is known for brooks that babble that's right um, okay that's okay <laughs> Reed, let me ask you this um so so this is the part that i'm, I'm kind of curious about mm-hmm. is as a young woman with with four children which like Good for you. Like four, like I feel like four children is a lot of children. Full stop. For just, just period. Like especially <laughs> mm-hmm. today, you know. Um, yeah. So a mom with four kids, who also is a wheelchair user, um, living with chronic illness, 
how often do you get the look or hear the like words of like, oh my goodness, that must be so hard. Uh, every single time I leave the house with my kids with or without my husband there, like mm-hmm. it's, you know, we will go to the science center and someone will be like, there's absolutely no way you've had these children. What? <laughs> like, you must have like, stole them. <laughs> it's a lot of kids to steal and they're following me around. Like <laughs> I'm trying to get rid of them and they're still here. So I don't think so, but yeah, it's, it's so, so regular that like, I just kind of look forward now and don't really entertain it. Or um, if I'm in a bad mood, I'll, you know, quickly come up with something to say back to them or like, you're so inspirational for leaving the house today. And I was like, Oh, thanks. You're so inspirational for putting pants on today. Like, good job. You did it. Like, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's a, it's a very regular thing that happens. And even if people really mean, well, it's, uh, it's unfortunately not easy to phrase. Uh, I mean, I mean I, I, it sort of reminds me of like there, there a while back, a while back, like way back, we did an episode, a live recording with somebody who didn't have arms and legs, arms and legs. Was that what it was? It was like, didn't have arms and legs or maybe just didn't have like, didn't have legs. And, but they were big into something like, 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 rollerblading or, or, yeah, or figure roller skating blade, or something. Yeah. They had like very special prosthetics for yeah. both their both mm-hmm. their arms and legs. And we, and we were like <laughs> I remember like we were having the conversation with them being like, Wow, like, but how do you how do you rollerblade with no legs? And they were like, I don't I don't fucking know. I just did like I've never it had legs. Happens. So I don't I put just, on I the rollerblades. Put on the rollerblades and do and it the I way do. I do it. And we were like, right, yeah, but like how though? <clears throat> you know, like it's got that's gotta be really hard. And they were like, no, no, like really, it's just it's just the way I've known my entire life. So like, it's not that fucking hard. And we were like, yeah. Oh, right. But like it's confusing for us because it's different. We have than what we yes. think about. And then, right, exactly. And that's also the, that's also the big difference between, it's also the big difference between living with something for a long time or from the time you were born. Right. Versus like, all of a sudden I versus lose my like, legs today. Yeah. Fuck man. I don't know. I'll probably never roll a blade mm-hmm. again. Yeah. These are like two very different stories, two right. very different experiences. And like, uh, yeah, like, challenges to over the challenges to overcome are very are very just different in that scenario although they might kind of Mm -hmm. look the same from the outside Mm -hmm. and so yeah so my point to that being um you know you have lived with this thing your entire life you do all the things that you do the way that you just would and it's probably no harder for you because that's just the way that you live your life although somebody from the outside might look at it and go holy shit four fucking kids and I can't yeah. <laughs> walk around like that's, that's mm-hmm. absurd. Um, mm-hmm. I, I guess the, my, my question here is, you know, what, like what, what if anything makes your experience as a mother different from somebody who isn't an ambulatory wheelchair user? Um, Well, I guess I could say like, I have only been an ambulatory wheelchair user for this past pregnancy and birth of my son. So like, Mm. really, I, I had been had limited mobility, but I wasn't actually using any aids. And so my quality of, of motherhood, I'd guess the best way to phrase it has gotten exponentially better since using a wheelchair. Cause Mm. you know, if you, if you, you know, throw out your back 
and then you have a kid and you're trying to parent and, you know, help a toddler walk around and, you know, or go to, you know, the science center and walk around for an entire day and you're in a ton of pain, you're not able to parent very well. Then your patience isn't very good. Your mindset's not very good. And your kids totally understand that. Um, and they totally feed off of that. So then to have now my, my capability of being able to do all these things with my kids, like they see their mom actually functioning now and they see Mm. like my quality of life is so much better. So then therefore their quality of life is so much better when, um, some people just don't seem to understand that or when they view, you know, oh, you're a wheelchair user. Who's a mom, like your kid's quality of life must suffer because you're using these aids. It's, it's no different than, you know, yeah, you have your glasses on and you can see your kids. Like we <laughs> just, you, you parent the way you need to. <laughs> and, uh, and so now I'm like, I'm able to teach my son how to walk. And yeah, I did it in a wheelchair, but I still was able to bend over and mm-hmm. teach him how to walk. Um, Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. I feel like everything that you said there and and then also sort of like tying in what you said before in terms of like people sort of like, you know, making those like patronizing comments <clears throat> is like, it's very, it's a, it's an incredible example of, 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 I think everybody's, everybody's, everybody's view or capacity to realize how adaptive human beings are. Like mm-hmm. in the sense that, in the sense that somebody, let's um, a mother who has like no physical, uh, no physical issues or obstacles whatsoever with four mm-hmm. kids, you know, it's very, it's very easy for me to picture that person walking around pulling their hair out just because having mm-hmm. four kids is a, has has a lot of challenges Same. in terms of a, a tons of a tons of stuff, and then so to that person, you know, they their experience is their experience, and then when they see you in a wheelchair with four kids, it's just like unimaginable for them because mm-hmm. they're, because they're having, because they're having their challenges, but like, mm-hmm. it's all relative to you. It's all relative to like your individual yeah. experiences. Like you, and, and, and I guess your, your tiny home has a lot of like analogies here because like you're like, if I get a, if I get a bigger, if I get a bigger bag that can carry more stuff, I'll put more stuff in that bag. Mm-hmm. If I, if I downsize that bag, I'll make it smaller. Like I just won't carry as much stuff. I will prioritize the things that need to go in that bag and I'll make mm-hmm. use of them in that, in that way. That's why I love carrying a purse. And then, and we are, and we are that way as, as people, like we will, we just, we, we just like make hay with the, with the ingredients that we have. Like we, yeah. we just go and we do it. And, 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 and I, and I say that in the sense of going, I know that the person that makes that patronizing comment it's really like a comment of their own of of uh, of their own yeah. uh, sense of what it would mm-hmm. be like of what they feel like it would mm-hmm. be like for them in, in relationship to their experience, not necessarily like a comment on yours. Although it no. it no doubt has an impact on you and and yeah. and and we should be 
aware of that. But it is just, it's like, mm-hmm. it is fascinating exactly. to look at it that way. Like how mm-hmm. adaptable we are as humans. What, what, yeah, exactly. I was, I was going to ask, what, what's the hardest part of, <laughs> about being a mom for you? Um, I think like for a long time, I was really concerned about how my kids were going to be treated. Um, because, you know, again, even when, and I agree, like those comments are absolutely, uh, like, Oh, you know, like my, my life is pretty, you know, little compared to like some of the other things other people are carrying. And that's absolutely like we've, I've had those really good conversations with people about that too, but I was really, really concerned with, you know, how the judgment of, of my kids and their, how they're being raised and can they be raised by somebody who can't walk all the time or can't really walk at all. Um, and, and they have, like, they have definitely felt that, but, you know, they're also like, they're so resilient now that I think for me, the thing I'm kind of worried about going forward is that as they're growing up is like, you know, how am I going to raise them to, um, to be able to see, you know, the chronic illness world and the disability Mm -hmm. world and not let it necessarily affect how they go forward in life because you know my even my seven-year-old now is like she's in a fighty mood she's in a fighty mood and she'll call people out as we're out and about and I'm like <laughs> okay 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 come calm down like you don't need I don't need you to go to battle for everything but like you know it, it's hard to you know be doing that and then on top of that there's also the the strain on you know my physical body my kids want to play soccer and bike mm-hmm. around and uh obviously you know adaptive bikes are not cheap and not mm-hmm. uh mm-hmm. you know there's they're hard to get a hold of too and so there's kind of like that that as they grow older i'm kind of worried on how my my life will have to adapt and my my uh my mothering will change that yeah. way i guess and in terms of like that, that trajectory of like them growing older and, and you growing older, mm-hmm. older, is there mm-hmm. like, have you had, are you, are you familiar with, with, um, whether or not all of the things that you're dealing with from a, from a health perspective are going to progress and look different, yeah. you know, t- like 15 years from now? Um, and, yeah. and like, what, what would, what could that potentially look like for you? Um, well, when I was 16, I had my full spinal fusion and then I had a stroke. Um, and then they kind of said to me right then and there, like, you won't have kids. Don't even try. Um, and you know, we looked at, and I'd had to have a a tethered cord release right before it. And then a tethered cord release a couple of years later and kind of those three surgeries, they kind of said, you know, like you're, you're going to lose your ability to walk like within the next 10 years. And I kind of was like, eh no, I'm good. (laughs) Like I'm going to keep walking for a long time. And so, you know, they kind of never expected my doctors never expected me to make it to 30, having any leg function at all. Um, and now, you know, with my recent scans, the, the expectation is, is that I will lose most, if not all leg function kind of in the next, however many years it it takes. Yeah. Does, 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 did your pregnancies pose any sort of like additional risks of like, like um, expediting that process of losing your mobility or, or leg function? You know, I'd also like to know that uh, I had an MRI <laughs> done. <laughs> there's not, there's no studies done on 
women with spina bifida in pregnancy. There's, there's really not, you either have a doctor that says like, oh yeah, go for it. Not a big deal. Like, you know, there, there may be some interventions needed, but otherwise you'll be good. And then you'll have doctors like I had that said, you know, no, your body just won't be able to withstand the stress of a pregnancy. And so you really shouldn't even try, like, don't even put that expectation or have that hope in in it. Um, And so it kind of depends, but like when I had my, my first daughter was very premature um, due to my spina bifida. And so we kind of were like, Oh no, (laughs) like that's, you know, whatever. But then the doctor said it was a fluke. So it wouldn't happen again. Um, And then I ended up having three premature babies, but the second two were not due to my spina bifida whatsoever. Um, and uh. I had MRIs done during my pregnancy and they showed that my spinal cord was not showing any extra or different signs of stress mm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then my fourth pregnancy was like absolutely wonderful and he was massive and it was totally fine. <laughs> and and uh, my OB was, so it was just, yeah, it kind of just depends, I guess, or unknown. Crazy. I'm sure the premature, I'm sure maybe, maybe this changes just because of the pre of the uh, having three pre uh, premature babies, but like, were you, were you, and I guess more broadly or more generally with spina bifida is vaginal birth totally okay. Is, did you have C-sections? Is there like a, is there a recommendation from doctors of whether you should have a C-section or have a vaginal birth? Yeah. I originally I was told a vaginal birth would be absolutely fine and dandy and there should be no issues. Um, and then I had a, my first OB was like, absolutely not. You're not even going to attempt it. Like, we're not even going to do it. And then it ended up being an emergency section. So mm-hmm. there was really no time to make any extra choices. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah. And then I just ended up having C-sections for all of my kids, which oddly enough, it, it's a major surgery, like, and takes a lot of time healing, but I was so used to, you know, that post-op recovery. Mm-hmm. And I knew my body so well that for me, like it was not as hefty of a right. recovery as, you know, like I was a doula for a, a long while and the recovery process on those moms is, you know, it, it was, I was ready for that. And I, I was very aware of like the massive <laughs> surgery that a C-section is. Um, and yeah, I just didn't, I don't know if it's just like lack of nerve endings or yeah, just being able to, you know, sit anyways and it was fine, but uh isn't it funny how we like, how, how, I, I mean, let me know if you guys think this. I know I certainly did. Um, I, because C-section is such a, it just seems like such a common term in, mm-hmm. in, in culture. Like just that, oh, did you like, did you have a vaginal birth? Do you have a C-section? And I feel like because of the common use of the word, it seems like it's very. Oh, yeah, and, they just open up your flap and take it on out. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. I mean, it's your stomach. So your but, flap back up. That's what I mean. They, they, just, oh, right. they just they open up the right. stomach flap. And like, I feel like you it press just, the button, the baby goes. <laughs> it sounds like it. It sounds so routine that that I feel like it's not really that well understood of it's that it's like surgery. that it's like they just open up <laughs> yeah. your whole stomach no, and dude. remove a human yeah. from it. Uh, my mom had one of them. It was fine. <laughs> yeah. She's okay. But like it's such a it is <laughs> like it's such a gigantic surgery. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's insane. Yeah. It's not it's, something it, it's not laparoscopic. They're not slipping that baby out of like a little no. fucking penny no. slot, you know? No. But I feel like I, yeah. but I but I feel like I feel like because it seems like it's so common. Yeah. 
that it's yeah. it, it it carries like a it doesn't carry the gravity. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't carry the gravity of a hemicolectomy where I lost seventy five percent of my large intestine. Yeah, you although say they, that and people go people go holy fuck. Yeah, even though they like slipped that out of a little hole. They did slip it out of a little hole. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, easier taking surgery. out a yeah taking out a baby is to me is far more fucking gnarly than that. All right, cool. You know? Then you're not in the camp that I was in. No, before. I'm not. Okay. I'm not. But I but I get it. I get it. You understand like, what I mean? I understand exactly what yeah, you mean. Yeah, yeah. Because it's again, it's. I mean, it's, it's got to be. I don't know. Is it how it's got to be common, right? Like, C-section. Yeah, like how how common yeah. is C-section? Like yeah, yeah. like everyone's. It's so hot right now. Everyone's it's doing so it. hot right now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering about like in terms of you know, um, in terms of having children and living with chronic illness. Um, I know, like for 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 CF, for example, because CF is genetic. Um, there's a lot of discussion prior to having a child that someone needs to have. If, 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 you know, w- with me, with CF, if I want to have a kid, if my partner is a carrier of the CF gene, then that increases the chances of the child having CF when they're born, yada, yeah. yada. So, um, with spina bifida, um, is there a genetic component or, um, you know, what, like, what were the conversations that you had with your healthcare providers prior to the pregnancies where they were saying, Hey, like, this is what might happen to the baby. Yeah. Well, I didn't really have any, to be honest. I did a lot of research though. I did mm-hmm. um, as much reading as I could kind of un- trying to understand. And, um, you know, it, the cause of spina bifida uh, can be, you know, a folic acid deficiency it can also just be a random mutation. Um, my mom also has spina bifida. I have a cousin with spina bifida oh, wow. and uh, my mom wasn't diagnosed until she was 30. So, you know, it to me, I went, it's a, I've seen the spine bifida babies at clinic who had, you know, myelomyangocil and, um, fully paralyzed and, you know, all of those, all of those risk factors. I did all my, my research and my partner, you know, kind of tracked down all of his family history and was like, so what's, you know, what's around in your family. And, um, and then kind of just went, you know, we'll, we'll see. Like I did, I did all the things I could to prevent spina bifida prior to pregnancy, Mm -hmm. kind of started all my prenatal vitamin stuff before I was even, you know, trying to have children (laughs) or not trying to have children, I guess. Um, and it, you know, I, I kind of went, we'll, we'll just take it as it is. There's, there's surgeries now that will, um, are revolutionizing, you know, spina bifida and the effects that it has, um, yeah, like yeah. neonatal surgeries that they can just go in and, um, uh, they call it fixing. It's not fixing, but it's a, it's a, um, a surgical, you know, insertion of things to prevent the spinal cord from leaving the body. Um, and so there's a lot that's changed since I was a baby or I was a kid getting diagnosed that made it better, I guess. And, for me to, you know, have a kid and know that she was, or he was going to be taken care of, um, right from the get-go. And then I was really on it. As soon as I had kids, I was like, you know, in every ultrasound, okay, let's do the full spine again, double check when they were, you know, the first three were preemies. And I made sure that they're, they got the full spinal, like lower spinal ultrasounds done post delivery, just to make extra sure that we weren't missing Mm. anything at all in terms of that. Fascinating. On the uh, so I I know that I just like I I I went to PP and I came back <laughs> and I just caught the end of that. But I it just made me think of how interesting it is in the medical world in general how 
there's kind of like there's like checks that they can do, but then there's sort of like checks light in mm-hmm. terms of the fact that like when you say, oh, I made sure that they got the whole thing. Like I know that mm-hmm. like because because like maybe typically they'd only like ultrasound this area. But I was like, let's ultrasound the whole thing. Like yeah. when I like when my Kyle and I had uh, went did IVF to have our daughter and mm-hmm. and I had and in the early days of our fertility stuff, I had a sperm analysis done and they were like, your sperm is grade A plus. And then, and then when I went and then, and then, you know, we tried forever and blah, blah, blah. And then when we went further down the line, they were like, Oh, we're going to do a sperm analysis. And I was like, I got one done. And they were like, no, 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 it's not that sperm analysis. It's like a, it's like a sperm analysis plus Mm -hmm. it's like, this is the premium subscription sperm analysis. And I was like, that's so, why isn't it? Why didn't they do that the other time? Like we could have saved us like eight months. Cause then they were like, "Your sperm sucks." Anyway, it just made me think of like how they're like how, you know, it's some, yeah. it's it's like you know it, and and, and I know yeah. that it's all like a I know that this is kind of like a just a broader comment on the medical system in general, but like yeah, it's not it's not like um what's the what's the uh, what's the like being cheap uh saying like if you if you if you pinch a penny today and a penny will come back tomorrow. No, it's something like something. <laughs> Two birds in the hand and one bird no, in the pan. No, it's not that. It's like if you if it's like if you it's like if when it rains, it pours. It's like if you That's don't it. buy if you don't buy right, you pay twice or something like that. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what the quote like? You, like yeah. Buy it you once, catch, you get one, you get one once. Bog, bog, buy it twice. Bogo. Come, yeah. yeah, right. Bogo. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, bogo. yeah cheap bogo. Bogo Uber Eats and you're, mm-hmm. and you're still not saving any cheap, money. It'll cheap come. It'll pay a little bit yeah. less now and you end up paying uh, almost double the second It'll time. come back to me that's later. It. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, It'll what be at 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying we should just check once. <laughs> and we should just be, I'm saying we should just be thorough. Yeah. Yeah, measure once, yep. cut cut twice. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. I, I have a question. Reden, <laughs> do you um have you ever gone to therapy? I have, yeah. Yeah. Um it was I was in the hospital after my full spinal fusion and I'd had this stroke that nobody knew why I'd had it. And then, you know, it was a really rough recovery after that. And thankfully, Alberta's Children's Hospital decided that uh I should not be talking to just my family anymore or my friends. And so they sent in somebody who did quite a bit of work right right when I was in hospital. Um, and then I continued therapy after that for about six months to a year. And, you know, typical teenage self went, man, I'm good now. It's <laughs> yeah. fine. Um, and then it wasn't until I had other issues in my life. And then, you know, even just kind of recently in the past year here, have I gone like, oh, no, it's kind of time to once again start working on the things that I didn't know were still an issue or things I had been holding on to that, you know, <laughs> I I had no idea. Yeah. Did you did you find it was helpful like initially when you were when you were younger and and yeah had the therapist in the hospital? Yeah, because yeah, when you're a kid and you have like chronic illness, um, there's a lot of things that doctors say either to you or about you that you don't realize have like a super damaging effect to your self-confidence. So you, you know, the doctor will come and be like, okay, let's see how bad you are today. And I'm like, what? Yes. <laughs> I, I didn't do anything wrong. Like, <laughs> you know, it, but it's because it's your body and because it's not perfect and because it's not typical, they can kind of say whatever they want in terms mm. of like, and, and they, they don't necessarily like, even my mom will say like, I had no idea. 
I had no idea these things were hurting you. And I had no idea mm. that you were being, you know, losing the will to continue on trying to treat yourself because you didn't want to hear it anymore. Like I would go to a doctor's appointment, have a panic attack at the car on the way home, get my Starbucks, and then just go to my room for the next day, just to kind of decompress and, mm. um, and release as much of that as I could. Um, so the therapist was really great for that because having the stroke and then having, you know, no one really know why it happened. And then still being told that things weren't right. Um, I was like, I just went through 16 hours of massive pain. They broke my ribs. They put me back together and now I'm trying to recover and they're still telling me things are wrong. Mm. Like why, why am I doing this? And she was absolutely wonderful and kind of starting that process of releasing that and trying to take back the, the ownership over my body that I had been missing for the majority of my childhood. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was really wonderful. And she kind of gave me all the tools I needed to, to speak up for myself and advocate for myself and try to can encourage people around me to use better language, but also set boundaries because that's the other thing people don't realize that you can do is, you know, I actually don't want that test because that test is awful. It's not going to show anything new and I don't, I just don't want it. And that's mm -hmm. okay. And I can say that to, to a doctor and they are going to have to respect that. And that's a, like a firm boundary. Mm -hmm. So was that, was that really like empowering to, yeah. to oh, like yeah. realize that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 It was great. And it, you know, and it really changed how my life ended up going. Cause, um, I didn't take anything that a doctor said to me as law after that. You know, I, I, I heard what they said. I saw the scans. I would go home and I would do my own research and kind of do some reading on either case studies that, you know, were similar to mine or, um, you know, just people's stories that they had kind of said about their own journey of things. And then I could go back to my doctor and have a good conversation with them about like, okay, so here's what I actually want to do. I understand what you want to do. And now I've like, I'm in control of my own medical mm. health now. Like it just in the broad spectrum medical me, I'm in charge. I need you to come do the surgeries on me, but also you're going to talk to me. It's my body. I am. Mm -hmm. It's my body. I'm part of this team yeah. and we're going to, I'm going to lead it. I am and the that, leader here. Yeah. yeah. So I, we, find that, I, find, I find it really interesting. I feel like there's a lot of parallels between, um, it's something I talk a lot about with my therapist uh, is, is this idea of this idea that like, even though you might consciously know this to not be true, that your parents are not, you know, perfect or not always right. Mm -hmm. When you're a kid, you grow up with this idea that they can like sort of do no wrong, even though like, you know, you know that they have made mistakes and that they are not perfect. Mm -hmm. There's just this sort of like idea that they're your parents and they are like going to make the responsible best decisions. Um, and so, when you start to realize that they do make mistakes, it's really hard to like hold them to account for those mistakes mm. because of this like sort of like way that you grow up uh, almost mm -hmm. like worshiping them. And I think a lot, I, I think that feeling is, is probably true for like the healthcare system too. And doctors yeah. in particular, mm -hmm. where you like, you feel like, Oh, they've done all of this training. They know they should know how to fix me. Like we put a lot of trust in these people to mm -hmm to always make the right decisions. But then when you start to like step back and look at it rationally and go, well, these are human beings. These people yep. can make mistakes. They're not always going to know what's right. Then it, it probably like causes a lot of like friction in your brain to like, try to like mm -hmm. figure out like, well, fuck, like 
I don't know. Like, can I feel angry towards them? Can I choose to not do what they're saying? Mm -hmm. Like, is there like how much room do I have to push back in this situation? And then yeah. they probably like just really could fuck you up mentally. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. And then you can come in and like, I remember uh, it was the first time I ever swore at a doctor and it, my doctor came in and he was just, just such an asshole. And he came in and he was like, he's like, Oh, so it's time for you to get up. And I was like, Oh no, I'm not getting out of bed today. Like, I just, I feel really terrible. And he was like trying to treat me like some football player. I was like, dude, you just broke my back. Like, no, I'm not, I'm not leaving. I'm not going. And I was like, you're just being the biggest asshole I've ever seen. And I don't want you to come into my room again until I call you. And <laughs> my mom's sitting there and she's like, oh no, oh no. And the nurse is in the back corner covering her face and laughing because this doctor had never been talked to that way, but he was so respectful. Like, you know, did I handle it correctly as a 16 year old girl? No. But also, all of a sudden, he was like, "Oh, okay, okay. You you let me know when you fair enough, yeah. When you well, need me, yeah." And it was great moving forward with him mm -hmm. after that point. I think like what like something that this conversation is is reminding me of is, <clears throat> I mean, we talk about patient like the importance of being a, an advocate in yeah. your own healthcare, yeah. uh, and and I and I feel like the the reason why being an advocate in your own healthcare is 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 uh has a lot to do with this this quote that I'm gonna say that to some doctors it might be offensive. Two um, birds they, in the they, hand is might, one in the pan. Yeah, this one I actually remember. <laughs> um, that it, that you know, and if you are a doctor out there, and then uh, this obviously isn't a blanket statement, but from from a doctor, A C A D. Um, <laughs> yeah, all doctors are bad. Um, uh, from a doctor, a quote from a doctor that where he said he said you know. Doctors aren't scientists. They're just, they're really great memorizers. Mm -hmm. They're, 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 they're not, doctors aren't necessarily like on the leading edge. They have mm -hmm. done a lot of education. They're very good at, at, at knowing what they've learned and then regurgitating and treating people with what they've learned. And yeah. there is oftentimes a gigantic lag between what is known to be great today versus what a doctor knows was the right thing when they learned it. Yeah, and, exactly. and, and that is kind of, I think like the gap that people who are really passionate about advocating for themselves are helpful to fill because, because then you can bring like, you can bring suggestions and, and your objectives and desires into the conversation and, and, and I think that that is a really great, I think I feel like really great doctors see that as an opportunity to go, oh, that's interesting. Like I definitely would not have done that this way or thought about doing that, but like, let me go and see, you know, if you mm -hmm. say oh, how, like, what about this, what about this treatment or what about doing it this way? Cause this mm -hmm. test really sucks. Um, yeah. and then thinking about approaching it in a different way that exists, but maybe it is not the guideline or it's not the. It's not the first step that they're that yeah. they were taught to to go to when they see a person because mm -hmm. to a doctor, unfortunately, in the medical system, you are you are you're like a number, like you're a staff. Yeah. Dollar signs, and then mm -hmm. that's in the U.S. <laughs> and 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 to you, you're like I'm a person with all these feelings and emotions and blah blah blah, blah and all mm -hmm. these experiences. And yeah, it's important to um, it's important to to uh, yeah to advocate for yourself for that reason. And I mm -hmm. think good doctors kind of 
grow and evolve with their with patients that challenge them in those ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say um my favorite like emergency room experience that I've ever had was usually like you guys read my my long list of all these diagnoses. Usually they don't come see me for a while and I know exactly what they're doing. Like I know they're at the computer. I know they're doing the exact same thing as everybody else does and just quickly Googling or quickly looking up what some of these things are because no one's, they even haven't heard of them or they don't look like I don't match the description of what they know of these, you know, these diagnoses. Um, And so this guy came in, this doctor came in and he was sat down. He came in so fast. And I was like, oh, maybe you've heard of things. He's like, I didn't even look at your chart after the first diagnosis. I saw there was more than one. Why don't you just give me a quick run through of what these are. And then you just tell me what you need and I'll send you on my way or I'll help out as as I can. And I was like, Hey, this is going to be a short visit today. This is awesome. Okay. I need these things. Like, let's go. And it was great. Mm -hmm. And he totally said that he's like, you know, I, I don't know. And there's no one better to tell me than the person I'm looking at. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. Yeah. That's good work. That's good work. What, What would you say is the biggest thing that your experience with all the things that you've been through, um, We'll, we'll 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 say spina bifida. What would you, what would you say is mm-hmm. the biggest thing that it's uh, taken away from you? Um. Well, originally I wanted to go to medical school, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and you know when again with the whole like looking at a diagnosis and kind of you can't do these things anymore. I I kind of lost was losing sight, I guess, of what I wanted to do with my life because I was like, oh, I'm wheelchair bound now. So what do I? what am I going to do? Like, what jobs can I do once my kids are older? And, you know, what can I travel? Is traveling still a thing I can do? And um, thankfully, like on social media and just, you know, companies in general are doing a lot more um, in terms of being accessible and being inclusive. Um, And so some of those things are, you know, changing, but uh, my diagnosis really limited how far I pushed myself for a very long time. And uh, I'm sure it still absolutely does, you know, from time to time, I just go, nah, I'm not, I don't want to do that. It's too hard. Or you know, we're at a wedding and I'm not going to go dance. Cause it's like, I don't want to step on anybody's toes in my chair. Like, how am I going to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, is you know, it's taken away a lot of the things that I envisioned for myself as a teenager who was like really rebellious and going, ah, no, this isn't going to stop my legs moving ever. I'm going to, I'm going to be 60 and I'm going to still be walking like nothing's wrong. Um, but yeah, it's just not the way, not the way it was. And that's, and it's perfectly good now. Um, so it, it's just, it's shifted. It's shifted that mindset for me quite yeah. a bit. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Um, a really good outlook on life and on people. Like I, and my, the empathy that I can feel for people now, I feel like I wouldn't have that capacity. It's not my personality type. It's not, you know, my, my go-to thing, but you know, the hardships that people have, like just the same as we talked about the comments that people say, and you go like, Oh, my thing looks really heavy, but you could be going through something that, you know, I can't even imagine going through that. And that doesn't make it worse than what I've gone through or better than what I've gone through. Like there's no levels to it. It's just, you know, given me the chance to connect with people and be like, oh yeah, that's like a really shitty, what you're going through right now. That sucks. I am so sorry. (sighs) Like, let's figure it out kind of together or, um, you know, be able to go, you know, to my kids and being like, 
no, like it's like life is hard and, but it is really good. Like life is really good. And you can, you can have both. You can have a, a really hard life and also have a really fulfilling life. And, you know, it doesn't, one doesn't take away from the other. Mm-hmm. Well, Reedan, I got to say, uh, it's, it really is a pleasure speaking with you. And, uh, I just want to say thanks for, for taking time uh, on your, your vacation to sit down and <laughs> chat with us and give us a bit of insight into your life. Uh, because again, like this, this has been a really interesting conversation. You're, you're a great conversationalist. And, um, it was really nice to like, talk to, talk to someone who is living with a disability, but is also, you know, um, a mother to a gaggle of children because, uh, motherhood yep. is something that we've, we've kind of touched on here and there, but it's, it, we've never really had an opportunity to like really dive into motherhood mm-hmm. from the perspective of someone who is living with a disability. Mm-hmm. And we love moms. Yeah. Yeah. We, we do. Big mom fans. Yeah, big mom mm-hmm. fans. Um, so, so thank you. Thank you so much for, for, yeah. for spending time with us today. This has been a real treat. Yeah. Thanks for having me. I really, I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> awesome. And happy early mother's day. Yes, that's right. Oh, yeah, thank you. Sunday. That is coming up. Yes, I should think about that. <laughs> no, you don't, have to you don't need to think about it. You don't got to think about it. Other, other, <laughs> other people need to think I mean, about it. Yeah. I do have a mom. I should probably. Oh, and a mother. Oh, uh, right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, I okay. Forgot. Fair enough. Oh, yeah. Those things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Moms have moms, too. That's right. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.